Hello and welcome to GA Embedded, our GA service here on Balls.ie, where we bring you the most in-depth analysis of the hurling and football championships. Now, every Monday we are here live on Monday morning to uh, look back on the best of the weekend's action. Um, it's all hurling this weekend. We'll catch up with Darren O'Sullivan next week. There's lots of football to talk about, but um, we'll have all football next week, but it's hurling this week. What a week it's been. We'll talk to Tipperary legend Shane McGrath in just a couple of minutes. Later on the show then as well, we'll have uh, Morris Brosnan for the first in a series of his GA Embedded article went out last week where he talked about hand signals of Gaelic football. We'll get in depth with him on that and talk a little bit about the football games from the weekend as well. We'll, you know, we have to keep things, the, the really important uh, issues are discussed on this show. So we'll be talking about GA haircuts, of course, because uh, again, these are the important things. And of course, we'll guess the handicaps later on. Gary and PJ are standing by. Gary looking to retain his title as we go into the football weekend next week. But what a weekend of hurling. It's time to talk about a four incredible matches, shocks, controversy, a little bit of controversy, and uh, um, great skill, extra time, the whole shebang. Let's talk about it right now with Shane McGrath. Shane, how are you doing? That was, uh, are you, I, I, I don't know if I'm quite recovered from it. We talked last week about uh, four, four games and the championship really kicking off and us suddenly being into a place where we knew who the provincial finals are, but... All four games had their own story in a way, and all of them lived up to hype in their own way. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was going to be a feast or a famine, and we, we, we expected we get a feast, and we did in between one thing or another. As you said, there was lots of controversy, and you know, I suppose it's, it is a little bit of a pity maybe that the controversy is probably taken over from a lot of the good hurling that, that went on as well. So, look, lots to talk about four games, four very different games as well, Mike. I think you know, you had, yeah. I suppose me and you, me and you were chatting over the weekend as well, and we said, you know, the act of defending. While a lot of people were saying it's gone, it was very much to the forefront in, I suppose, maybe three of the games at the weekend. Anyway, um, definitely in two of them. Anyway, so that was great to see, and some individual displays, outstanding individual displays in defending types. And you know, maybe we haven't seen a defender get harder the year in some time, but maybe this will be the year that that uh, that that could happen. And. I suppose mm. one guy, one guy, in, well, two guys in particular. I suppose two cornerbacks. They've, they're, they're, they've been referred to as the creme de la creme of cornerbacks. Bar- Carl Barrett yesterday did a great job, Tony Kelly, and I thought uh, Sean Finn was outstanding against Cork as well, and I thought Sean O'Donoghue was outstanding. But look, we'll, we'll probably talk about it more. But look, a great weekend of hurling. Uh, you won't keep everyone happy, Mike. I'm sure some people were happy with the low score, and some people were not happy with the higher score. Bit of banter on Twitter there. People were saying in the Dublin Galway game, what are we going to do? There's no, there's no scoring anymore in hurling. We'll have to make the slitter heavier. So look, that's, <laughs> that's Lighter, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's and that was probably the story of the week in a way was Dublin's win over Galway, and much you need that. And we'll get to that, but let's actually just get the controversy out of the way then early, right? Because it's look, I mean, as a you know, as a tip man, you probably said like, what's the big deal? There's decisions of the course of a game. Maybe uh, I seen some people tip people saying that. Well, nobody necessarily agreed with us. There's a James Owen's given the referee. As a clear man, I'm apoplectic about it. But then I suppose the day after is the time to kind of reflect with a cooler head and say, like, what? You might have heard this. Like, there was discussions all the way through, um, I suppose, the spring or even the early summer in this case about what this rule, before the league even came back, about what was going to, what was going to happen in this rule. And I actually heard the hypothetical of what if a guy is dragged down on the sideline is that a penalty is that a yellow card and does it put an impossible does it put referees in an impossible position where they have to be judge jury and executioner in a very very quick manner as to what it defines a goal chance and you know 
Brian Lowell wouldn't excuse James Owens for that, and I, I completely see where he's coming from. But it also just puts a needless pressure on a referee, doesn't it? Like, outside of whether he was right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah, I suppose I, I look at it two ways, Mike, right? I look at it as a hurling fan, first and foremost, and I can look at it maybe from the officials or the referee's point of view, secondly. So from a hurling fan, fan's point of view, right? So I was there as a tip fan yesterday. If I was to roll reverse, and if, um, let's say, Dan McCormack, who was lined out to play wing forward for us, had taken down David Reedy in the same manner, uh, in the same position, and Claire got a penalty, and Dan McCormack got the line for us, I would be absolutely furious. Mm. And I think most hurling people, even a lot of tip people at the match yesterday, you know, I was in the stand there yesterday, and all the tip crowd around me, we thought, right, free here for J.O. We, uh, we were, it was uh, 113, uh, sorry, what, I think the score at the time, we were down, we were down two points at the time. Two, we thought, yeah. Look, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, bring, we'll bring it back to a point here. J.O. will get the free, difficult free now. Very, very tight angle. Like, I'll be honest, everybody in the Gaelic grounds yesterday, Claire and Tip fans, were couldn't believe that Jess Ford was lined up to take penalty. And I'd say, mm. I'd say the Tip players couldn't either. So, like, from, from, from a fan's point of view, you know, we, we a lot of people just couldn't believe the decision. Um, it, it was a foul. It uh, probably was a yellow card. So, you know, from that point of view, like, from a hurling point of view as well, this clear goal-scoring thing, and I'll talk about it in a second, about what Fergal Horgan said earlier in the year, and he probably came across, Mike, as probably the top referee in the country over the weekend because of the way he refed the game. But a lot of people don't know Fergal Horgan would have played the game at a very, very high level, you know, with underage teams with tip and being involved, you know, with, with, with tip the whole way up along and has proven himself to be a top referee. Like, if if, if Jake Morris... He's, I think he's 32, 33 metres. There, there was a tweet going around there that he was actually closer to the Ennis Road than he was mm. to the goalpost. And even if he gets the ball in his hand, that's his first catch. So he's 32 metres. He's going to solo on, solo on. There's two or three clear defenders coming back in the picture. They'll definitely be back. And, and obviously the goalie there as well. By the time he puts the ball, gets his second catch, he still probably he still could be potentially 25, 26 metres from the goal. So... Is that a clear goal scoring opportunity? I don't know. Now, if I if I could just make if I could just say what the sin bin is, right? The sin bin is it punishes a trip, a pull down, or a careless use to hurley on an attacking player with a goal scoring opportunity inside the twenty meter line or the semicircle or the D as we call it. That's fair enough. The areas for consideration are where the foul occurred, how many defenders between the attacker and the goal, could another defender make a tackle, and how many players are in the area in front of the goal. Now, what Forgel Horgan said earlier in the year was. If it's a clear and obvious goal scoring chance, that's not the rule. If it's a goal scoring opportunity, it's it's not clear. And it's only the referee on the day that can call whether it's a sin bin or a penalty or not. It's completely up to him. So basically, what this comes down to, Mike, is it's the matter of opinion of the mm -hmm. referee on the day. Like yeah. the ruling is there, but it does come down to the matter of opinion on the referee on the day. And I think we could be here to the cows go home and talk about it. James Owen's opinion yesterday was that Jake Morris was 32 metres from the goals with not a defender clearly in sight and that that was a clear goal scoring opportunity. And I think for 99%, 99.9% of everyone else, it was not a clear goal scoring opportunity. And I suppose that's where the frustration comes from everyone. Like. The one question I'd have about James, and I don't, I look, I say even on Twitter last night, we don't need to be, you know, James Owen doesn't need to be hung, drawn and quartered about a, a decision made in, the, in in a game. But it's it's easy to say he shouldn't be punished for a mistake either. Whereas I haven't heard anybody suggest that this was a mistake from an official channel or from James Owens himself. Not that he necessarily needs to be answerable. But, you know, should a referee have a different opinion than 99.9% .9 of hurling fans? You know what I mean? We can get into, you know, them understanding the rules better and so on and so forth. But... You know, that suggests to me a massive problem. And that suggests to me, like, you know, is James Owens accountable for a decision like that? 
should in your opinion i know we can be very harsh on referees sometimes but it, it felt like even just watching last night in the sunday game it almost went the other way it's like as if to say we can't say anything about a referee making a really yeah. poor decision here whereas like these things can be analyzed you know oh yeah i agree look i think there's no one perfect and um, we all make mistakes everybody makes mistakes in life we, we make them every day of our life and the people not making mistakes aren't making progress what i'm saying like if, if, if a player makes a big mistake and um, he probably won't start the next day you know yes. so if, if, if a referee makes a big call like this i'm not saying it's a punishment but you know do the referees committee come together and say look we maybe were considering you for a semi-final and maybe we feel because of this decision you know you maybe you, you you might be in line to get to semi-final now you know, i'm sure the, the referees are going to meet this week they're going to look at it and james owens will say maybe technically he was right but i suppose technically you know it's it's it just it just didn't make sense to, to i think everybody else in, in in the broader community we've seen the frustration with a lot of people you know and uh both declare people and i suppose a lot of neutrals like mm. it's it's and in fairness brian lowen it's not tipperary's fault you know and yeah. it's not tipperary players fault they took full advantage of it aiden mccarthy is a very physical very fit guy covers a lot of ground and in the time he's off the field it's been well documented tip score two four to two points for claire and that's and, and and that's the change in the game but that's not tipperary's fault and fair play to tipperary for taking advantage of it every other top team in the country would do the exact same thing while the guy is off the pitch so you know i think that while while we're all human um and, and i'm not saying there should be a punishment in this because it's not his job it's not he's, he's not a professional referee like a premier league player but i'm sure the referees have to say look for the for the really really big games maybe you're not at the you're not at the top of the pecking order maybe like you were before and you know the Fergal Horgans of this world who would have seen this and would have maybe just gave the free and the yellow card so look I think I do think while rules are there to, to help us with the game and everything Mike I I I feel the common sense sometimes has to come into it and the other side of it is you know James Owens he's a, he's a former Ireland final referee I think 2015 mm. like he would he would be able to consult with seven or eight officials in Crow Park I I think maybe if you look back in it and look we've all had regrets in our careers maybe he should have maybe done a little bit more consultation i'm not saying bring in var don't bring in Baron to hurland but i'm just saying more consultation you know yeah 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 exactly yeah they're all yeah. they're all they're all hooked up to each other so. yeah and look that's all, it's all fair enough and, and i want to move on to to to, to tip and everything like that but just as a, as a as a player as a viewer as an analyst now everything you know that you're involved in the game um like I remember, I remember, like you were talking about, like sometimes you look at it almost from a neutral's perspective, even when you're a fan. I remember the All Ireland semi final in 2013, and Patrick Donnellan, rugby tackle, I think Graham Mulcahy to the ground for when Clare were like five, six points up, and it was a point. And I remember thinking to myself, as much as I'm happy about like Clare winning here, I think something needs to be done about this. There was a rule that needed to come in, but they just went in this, they just made it vague, they made it complicated, and there was never a need for it. And it's it's a rule that, as I said, that's 2013 I'm talking about. We're a rule that's 10 years in the making here. And they just got it so wrong. So outside of even James Owens and you kind of reading out the rule there, it sounds all right. But when it's predicted that something like this would happen, <laughs> you know, it just seems to me yeah. it's like the GEA have a lot to answer for, I think, as well in something like this. And again, we're after spending 10 minutes talking about it at the, at the start of an unbelievable weekend of Harlem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look at it. Look, it is. Look, it's the main talking point. You know, very, very little talk about who actually won the matches and, you know, the teams that actually lost. The teams that actually lost this weekend, I was just looking at it there now in, in time-wise, right? They're going to have to win, uh, I think it is, five games in 35 days trying to become an Ireland champions now for the yeah. teams that lost at the weekend. And I tell you, it's very hard going. They have to win three games, 21 days, just to get back into an Ireland quarterfinal. 
Yeah. Um, so look, that's that, that's tough going for the losers. But look, I I I don't feel there's anything maybe too wrong with the rule. I just feel maybe okay. the interpretation of the rule, Mike, could be better. And I, and I really hope the refs sit down and have a really good chat about it at their meeting this week to say, look, uh, it wasn't the right call. Let's learn from this, and please God, let's never let's never let it happen again uh, for the for for the for the rest of the championship. Anyway. Yeah, there's common sense in sport, I think, a lot of the time for any fans, even if you're not an expert and you know that something like that resulting in a, a more or less guaranteed goal plus a sin bidding is too much for that particular foul. But I will say that the 2-4 two to 2 points thing is, is, is interesting in a way that I think Tip haven't got enough credit for because Limerick, when Peter Casey was sin binned, um, Limerick, I think, won that 10 minutes like 4-2 or something like that, low scoring, and the, you know they did it right. Claire, you could have an argument, didn't keep their heads. They were fairly wronged and, and, and maybe didn't adapt well enough, and that's going to be an experienced thing for them and Brian Lowen going down the line, but Tip did, and I thought, one of, I thought that was emblematic of an entire performance yesterday over 70 minutes where I thought like the old dogs rose to the occasion. You know, you mentioned Cottle Barrett earlier on. You saw like Podimar very much struggling at the start of the game grew into the game. Brendan Martin, mm. Jamie Callan didn't get a touch, I think, for 20 minutes and ended up just playing this, what I would consider like this, this sort of like this playing full forward with his brain rather than his brawn for the like yeah. for the entire game. Some of the passes he did, some of the flicks, everything like that. And it was just, it was those guys that kind of won the game for tip in the end, even though like it was a 50 or well, 20 man performance, I suppose. Yeah, I tell you, you know, we talk about the experience that they had in the field, and I, I said it there last week. I felt the experience would, would stand to them, and it really, really did. Like, you know, Tip were six points down at one stage in the first half, Mike, and it was just real composure. Went on to score one five in, um, in, in a row. Like, but like you talk about Shamey there, right? Shame scored one one from play yesterday. And himself and Connor Cleary did a fair battle, but the amount of, of running and the amount of balls that broke off Shamey, and even if you look back in the game, there's two points he's directly involved in, right? Where he's actually falling to the ground, but he gives a yeah. hand pass just as he's fallen. Mm. And it's just it's just a frame of mind, like, like the experience to say, right, I, I mightn't get this in my hand. If I do take it in my hand, I might overcarry it. I might get swarmed by the clear lads. And just the, the, the presence of mind just to flick it out. And, you know, we got we got two points directly from, from that off Shamey. You know, his goal, he'll say himself, he scored 37 championship goals now. It was probably it was probably one of the luckiest ones he got. And the thing for Aver Quilligan is if people watch it back, Aver Quilligan favours his uh, left-handed top, so he's going he's gonna to want to go to his right. And that shot it actually goes to Ava Quilligan's left. And if you watch it, his wrist or his hands just aren't placed properly and the ball just sneaks in under his hurley. Ava Quilligan made two or three top drawer saves yeah, on yeah. Wednesday, but he'd be very disappointed personally from, from that one. And, you know, as you said, they picked off the few points because they were able to find the space, because they had the, they had the, we, we, we actually freed up, when I say we, Tipperary, freed up Pawdy at the back. So mm. Pawdy, Pawdy had space while Aidan McCarthy was gone off. And what that allowed Tip to do was, extra second on the ball to get a better quality ball in and because of that team we we get you know we get one four away uh, aside aside from jo's penalty but the experience of the boys was the experience of the boys really really stood through yesterday and look a lot of people are saying noel came off there around maybe around the 50 minute mark and for me like maybe that that might be noel now for for us like you know it might be get the most out of noel 50 55 minutes to, to second water break and someone else comes on in an injection of energy because noel just has that vision you know, mm. he could be involved in so much for that time. And like, you know, I just, I thought it was, a, I, I thought it was a, a really good performance in the second half yesterday by Tip because, you know, you could get caught up in all the madness too, Mike, you know, with everything yeah. that's going on. And the bit of a crowd there yesterday was brilliant. You know, it was brilliant. Like, you know, it did generate a bit of atmosphere. And I think you're going to see, Mike, as crowds get bigger as the years go on, as the year goes on, you, I think you'll see players making more mistakes. 
because you know yeah. we all know what it's like when no one's watching you you don't feel the pressure but as the crowds get bigger i think you might see more more of these little simple mistakes players running out over the ball miss striking the ball because of the crowd and i think i think that's brilliant as well that's that's what we want to see in our games like Absolutely, yeah. Um, from a player point of view, I think there's probably disappointment there that they didn't keep the heads and that they, even before that, there was a sense that they were kind of gone off. The, they played so well in the first half. Tip had weathered them, I would say, is probably a fair fair way to describe it. But Claire had done so well and, and, and it seemed to be a really even contest. But just whacking the ball in to the, to the target man, it just seems like... It's, it seems like an old-fashioned way of doing things and it didn't... It, it, you know, they almost like suffered from being with the wind in the second half would you say yeah i think they did i think they maybe you know maybe came over reliant on aaron shanner trying to win trying trying to win primary possession for them you know and I, as i said i thought Cahill did a really good job on tony kelly now tony mm. kelly pop, popped up at one nine he would have got one one from play now the goal he got um in fairness to Cahill, he had to commit for it and it was yeah. a lovely little frick by uh, ian galvin into him and super finished by tony kelly look we expect that the point the point tony kelly got was ridiculous like he was <laughs> Genie, he, he was nearly down a little taking the shot down the shot. Yeah, just, that's, yeah. that's what he does. That's what you get from him. And you can't, you have to allow Tony Kelly four to five scores from open play in every game, minimum. And and Cahill Barrett kept him to two. And mm. I think I think I think that was that was a big part of Tip's foundation to build on for, for success there yesterday. Like and in fairness to the rest of the Clare forwards, while it didn't happen for Tony Kelly, like Ian Galvin pops up at one two inside the first quarter. Has to go off towards the end of the game, you know. Hold, I see him holding his leg. You know, David David Reedy was very lively. David Reedy was moving everywhere. He was he was looking for the ball. And he was causing Paulie a bit of problems. And they just kind of nearly went away from that. Then into in 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 the second half, you know, I suppose losing the guy, losing the man, and everything, and maybe their heads dropped and got a bit deflated. But they went away what what worked well for them in in the first half, Mike. If that if that makes sense. And to be honest, mm. like it was three three twenty three to two seventeen coming in there to the last ten minutes. And the last five scores in the game, Claire got them. So while Tip won by four points, I do feel Tip were, it was I do feel Tip were six, seven, eight points a better, a, bit, a better team than they were yesterday. And uh, like uh, a lot of people might know this, but uh, Claire only had two wides in the last quarter, Mike, right? And if people watch it back, and it wasn't really mentioned now last night, I don't know if it was mentioned by anyone. I was in the Mackey stand. I was at that side. Tony Kelly uh, had, had a shot. And I tell you, it was 100% a point. It I knew four, I... It was four or five yards inside the post. And all the tip crowd were at that side of the Mackey stand. And we yeah. all just looked at each other. And all the, you know, the Sunday game crowd were up there as well. And we we're like going, oh, sure, there's another point now for Tony Kelly. And your man weighs it wide. And we we're like, if, if tip only win this by a point, there's going to be war because... And I, I don't know why the yeah. point wasn't brought up, but it was it was this much inside the post. You could see so, that on TV. I yeah. completely forgot about it. And I knew I knew one that it just looked like a score. And then two was, you know, and on TV sometimes you could be wrong on that way. But then and then the secondly, it was like you knew from the way Kelly ran in at the umpire that those lads are never wrong on that. Like, you know what I mean? And it was just, oh, they, and it was just brushed off. And it, again, it, it kind of comes back to what we're saying is that everything was defined by that Aiden McCarthy decision. You know, like in, in yeah. the match, it was like there was, was almost nothing. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Shanahan was it a penalty? I see Tip Tipper fighting back, saying that Heffernan was fouled first. And there's a million things to talk about. But uh, Asher, look, it's um, it's, oh, it's uh, definitely, yes. definitely a point. But Mike, as you say, it was lost in the madness of everything else going mm. on. And because Aiden yeah. McCarthy, I think, was getting nearly getting ready to come back on at that stage and everything. But the whole tension of the crowd, clear crowd, they were fewers at the match. They were booing. I think that they actually didn't even notice it because, as I said. You wouldn't really see it from the uncovered stand at the other side. It wasn't at that angle. But where we yeah. were, where I was sitting in the Mackey stand, it, it, it was a clear point. It was a clear yeah. point. And I don't know how there wasn't more made of it. But anyway, look, there wasn't. 
but uh, as I said, you know, they, you know, inches like you know. So they, they, they Mike Barry Heffern and Aaron Shannon. It's six and one half a dozen in the other. I think with that they were both they were both wrestling, both testing the jerseys there when the ball came down. I suppose the Clare fans were feeling after they got hard done by by the decision. Otherwise, usually the teams that get hard done by usually get those 50 50 calls. <laughs> I thought that might I'll, I'll be the case. All right, I, I'm a little bit less adamant about that than I was. I, I'll, I'll come back. I, I'll, I'll say maybe it was seven of one and five of the other rather than. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm a little bit more uh, magnanimous in that. Look, let's uh, come out of our own teams here for a few minutes and talk about sort of some of Saturday's games because, um, like Dublin beating Galway, you talk about maybe maybe uh, some fans creating some mistakes. Like, Dublin were brilliant, and but Galway, it has to be said, I, I, I don't think anyway we're at the races. Some of it was that Dublin not letting them play, um, but other would I'd be very worried if I was a Galway fan. But from Dublin's point of view, like, they just needed this so much, didn't they, for Maddie Kenny, for the development of the entire sport in the county. Because, you know, you had the, you, the obviously the great Anthony Daly days, you had the big win over twenty in 2019 that I, was ruined in a way by what happened in the quarterfinal, the preliminary quarterfinal against Leash yeah. then, you know, and it was almost yeah. it was taken away that they'd not go away at the championship. And then a disappointing year last year. And it just felt like it could be, we were thinking during the league this year, is it slipping away from Dublin? Are they going to fall back down to where they're competing with Leashes and Antrims? And it's anything but. We talked about, we predicted it a little bit last week that was like, they looked a really good side against Antrim and they went out and proved it then. Oh, they did, and like, jeez, I made the worst call, I'd say, I've made in a long time. I thought Antrim might actually beat them, and they just came and blew them away. And then even on, at the weekend, I thought, you know, Galway, with the team they have, and the panel they have, and the way they were going in the league, and the set of forwards they have, I thought, you know, this is this is going to be Galway and the Leinster final guaranteed, you know, number two team in the country to Limerick at the moment. Terrible call again. I'd say, actually, the only good call I made Saturday was to was to my mother to tell her I got the vaccine, and everything was okay <laughs> after it, you know that? So, like... Uh, Oh, stop. But, like, I tell you about, we, we, as we, we were talking about over the weekend, Mike, the, the art of defending was very, very clear to see with the Dublin lads there at the weekend. 118 to 114. They keep Galway now. Galway with forwards like, you know, Joe Canning, Cooney, Brian Concannon, uh, Evan Nyland yeah. coming on, you know, um, Connor Whelan. They kept him to 1-8 from play for the whole match. That is mm. phenomenal going. Like, and yeah. Galway scored 114 altogether. And, you know, I'd be looking at the likes of you know, Owen O'Donnell, he's just a massive player. He's, it's probably the only blip on the weekend for the Dublin lads is that he's a hamstring injury. Hopefully, hopefully he'll get back for them. But like, I mean, like Keno, Keno Callahan, the job he does, rocking that mullet like inside the helmet. You know, Paddy Smith, they're, 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 they're not going to be nine or ten, nine or ten out of ten players, but they do their job really, really well. And they do their job for the team. Rush at centre-back looking good there. Yeah. Danny Sutcliffe in all-star form that he had from 2013. You know, Dara Gray popping up with two points, like, you know, so, I mean, and Chris Crummy, who we all maybe thought was a back, but the touch he made for the goal, I mean, sure, any any top forward, TJ Reid or anyone would be happy with the touch he made to kill the ball and put it in the net. But the art of defending was very, very clear to see. If you think about it, right, if I said to you before the match, Mike, Brian Concannon won't score from play, Joseph Cooney won't score from play, Adrian Tui won't score from play, all right? They, Galway have 14 wides. And I, yeah. and I do think a lot of this was to do with his injury. Joe Joe had six of those wides on his own. Joe actually had nine shots for his scores mm. um, at, the, at the weekend. And I just feel, he's, I don't think his tongue is fully right. And I think maybe he has a, a slight uh, rib injury as well. So I think that's very clear to see that any day that Joe Canning has six wides, he's just not fully right and he's not at the races. And to see Evan Nyland coming on, taking over the freeze was, was another indicator for me. But 
I just thought that, you know, the first Leinster final for Dublin 2014, they just brought a workman-like performance, a team performance. It was phenomenal to see, you know, I think Donald Burke, while he only scored two points from play, his, his wrist work around there, he takes mind in. Not the most physical guy, but his mm. wrist work and the ball he can give in. As I said, Dara Gray, I mean, I thought Alan Nolan was, was in line for many of the match as well. I know Conor Burke covered the world of ground and he does that job brilliantly sitting deep for Dublin. But Alan Nolan, the saves, he made three or four top drawer saves, chipped in with a pint, but his puck outs as well, his vision for the puck outs yeah. is excellent. So yeah. it's a great, great performance all over the field. And, and Mike, on, on the back of a very, very hard week for Dublin personally, with James Madden, you know, turning, like going out to play for his county, you know, burying his dad Noel there. And he was like to hear his, hear the interview saying that that's what his dad would have wanted. And, and for Matty Kenny as well, I believe had to bury his brother-in-law yesterday. So you imagine the emotion that was there beforehand but to channel that emotion, that energy that, you know, Owen Kelly used to always say to us that if you're nervous, it's good because nerves gives you energy. And sometimes emotion can go one or two ways for you. And I think the Dublin lads channel that emotion in, into like, let's just go out and give the best performance we can for everybody. Like, you know, mm. and I think they really, really did that. And I'm sure everybody, everybody associated with that Dublin team and panel and their family were just so proud of them at the weekend by the way they performed. And then to, to beat Galway in the manner they did, four points, they never, ever fell behind once in the game as well, which I yeah. thought was a sign of a team that's really dominated the game. So I think you can only, you know, Dublin going into Leinster final against Kilkenny and you'd be, be afraid to tip against them now at this stage, you know, because I'd say the belief in the group is just unbelievable there after the weekend, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned Adam Nolan there. We're, we're I'll talk about it a little bit later in the show with Morris, but we have, I think, the rolling all-stars that we do every year. We're launched it tomorrow where we try and pick the team as the as the year goes on. And I'm absolutely perplexed for goalkeeper because you've got Adam Nolan, and this is only for a starting point, never mind at the yeah. end of the year, but you've got Adam yeah. Nolan, you've got, like, Nicky Quaid, like, that was just such a brilliant save, I thought, like, you know, and there's so much more to goalkeeping than saving, but some of the saves on display this week were absolutely fantastic. Like Owen Murphy as well, obviously he got the sim bidding, but he, he, he in general, just like always the best keeper out there. It seems to me, you know, like saves all around really, like in, in, in nearly every game, I think every keeper had some good saves, but it's uh Nolan for me definitely is, is someone that like he, the way he contributes almost in open play as well can be fantastic for Dublin, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, He's got a sweet strike of a ball, you know, that was evident from the point he got, but he's puck out as well. But, you know, I'd say your role in All-Stars now could be as controversial as that Sinbin decision as the year goes on. You know, I'm sure there's always good crack there and people writing in who, who they'd have. And We're never have right it. anyway, Shane, that's for no, sure. No, no, no. <laughs> right. yeah. But you're looked, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, Mike, anyway. So, look, you have to be right sometimes, you know. Uh, qu quickly on Galway, right? Uh, uh, Morris, who was talking to in a few minutes, Galway man, I was texting Jordan uh, over the weekend, and he was like, his big worry for Galway is that they have a lot of great athletes in the team, but in a match like that, where uh, Dublin kind of like crowd you out, you kind of realise that they don't really have any runners, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and that would be a, a worry for them. And then I think as well, like, you know, is there any question over Shane O'Neill if that, if Joe isn't right, and you have to play Joe Canning. I understand that he's there for his presence alone. But say if say if his thumb isn't right and his accuracy isn't right, should he be taken off freeze, for example, much earlier? Is that like a thing of like, is this his? Is this Shane O'Neill's team or is it Joe Canning's team? I and look, you know Joe a lot better than I do. I know, Mel, I don't think he's an ego man or anything like that. I wouldn't say it, but it's um, it still does take a manager to come in and say, here, pull you, pull pull it out of this a little bit. It's not your day, you know. 
Yeah, no, I agree, yeah. I mean, look, a lot of people might realise Joe Kenny made his debut in 2008, like, you know, I mean, that's 14 seasons ago, like 13 yeah. years or 14 seasons ago, and he had a lot of hurling done by the time he was 16, 17. Like, he was winning county finals for Portumna when he was 15, 16 years of age, so he has a lot he has a lot done for him, like, you know. But I, I, I do agree with you, Mike, yeah, I just feel, and I and I feel it was there in the Cork match a bit as well the other day, you know, that it just wasn't happening for Huggy, like, you know, and I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Pat Horgan, and I think, you know, if you're on about building statues to people and all this, the Cork people should think about building one to him because I think he has been maybe when they haven't had great teams since he's he's got involved, he papers over the cracks a small bit with his individual performances. But it just he wasn't at the races the other day, and maybe like you know, there's no one player bigger than the team, and I suppose that's up to the manager to decide that. But yeah, look, I mean, if you've a free taker like Evan Island on the bench, and it's just not happening for Joe, and I I don't think Joe was fully right now with with, with his injuries and everything. You know, I think you have to you have to look at it and say, look. It's it's the team wins, everyone wins. It's 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 not about anyone. And Joe Canning would be the first to say, if you want to put Evan Island in the freeze, absolutely. And I'm sure Pat Horgan would be the same because he's all about the team. And you said it there, Mike. He's not about ego at all. Jeez, if anyone could be about ego, it could be Joe. Like, but he's absolutely not. He's a top man. I lived with him in college in LIT. Lovely guy, down to earth. And and he's all about Galway winning first and foremost. So if I I'd say that. You know, if that if that decision had to be made, he'd be he'd have absolutely no no, no problem with it. But as you said, it's, it's it's a big call to make, isn't it? Like you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at Galway. If, if there's one team that could come back through, even the, despite the insane run, you would probably fancy Galway to do it, but not on the performance at the weekend. But taking nothing away from Dublin, the other game then is like madcap lunatic game. I saw there's a thing like NFL do. There's uh, an NFL guy on on Twitter called Scorag Scoragami, I think, where it's like every time there's a result that's never happened before. He, you know, he, he puts it up. I don't think there's such a service in hurling, but I'd imagine 237 to 229 has never happened in a, in a, in a hurling championship match before, but even after extra time. But, uh, like, for me, Kilken there's two things in this game. Was One is, like, how they keep kind of developing lads like on Cody or how Ballyhale do it, where they might, like, this guy looks like he's another TJ, another Henry, you know, and it's, it's unbelievable. Like, But the other thing is, like, mm. Kilkenny their ability to just go on runs in that game. Wexford kept getting three, four points ahead, and then Kilkenny would, five minutes later, be two up again. And they just do yeah. it through, just, just grabbing the game a little bit for 10-minute periods or five-minute periods. And that was, and obviously they did it eventually in the second half of extra time, and there was no coming back from it then, and that's why they won it. Like, But they're... You always, sorry, I, I, I'm rambling here a bit, but the, the assumption is sometimes with Kenny that that's experience. But if you look around the team, it's not that experience anymore. Like Killian Buckley was on the bench, Fogarty was on the bench, Wally Walsh was on the bench. This is a young team, but Brian Cody, and it's 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 almost inbuilt in them at this stage from from birth, really, isn't it? If, like it, it's just as I said, it like. No matter what Kilkenny team takes the field, and no matter what 15 lads pull on that black and amber jersey, you will find it hard to beat them, as you said, because their whole lives they're told, you have to work hard, you have to win your own ball, and they just have that culture of just never giving in and never saying dying, and that's why they've won the most All-Ireland hurling titles of all time. Like I mean, they, they just never, ever know their bet, like, and they'll never, ever give in. And, and as you said, three, four points down against Wexford at several times in the match. And even in the first half, they were twice, they were three points down. They scored the next four points. They went three points down. They scored the next four points to take them in at half time, a point yeah. up. But like they had five goal chances in the first half, Mike. And right, and, and Cody supposed had one of them, scored, finished up the game, one five play, hit the post, one of them. 
But like I'm saying, goal chances is in. Mossy Cohan had a chance, you know, give a ball off. Um, and no, they, you know, they did actually five clear goal chances where yeah. if they taken the right choice, they could have gone in. They could have gone in 12, 13 points up, handy enough. But at the same time, to go in a point up after being three points down twice in the first half of Ireland because they never give in. To go back to the scoring thing for a second, Mike, like the average before yesterday was three go- or before the weekend, three goals, 46 points a game. And they, we had five goals and the Mats now will kick in here, 66 points. Five goals, 66 points in uh, in Kenny Wexford. But I have to mention like the, the Ballyhale contingent, you mentioned it there, right? TJ chips in with 16 points. Co- Owen Cody, one five from play. Richie Reid, two points from play. And Mullen, a point from play. So our 237, the small little place in Ballyhale contributes 124. Like there's some going for, for for one club, isn't it? Like you know, and as you said, they yeah. just keep rolling them out. Oh, Cody's uncle wasn't a bad hurler now either. Now, but a lot of people might notice he's a lad called Henry Shefflin. So, uh, you know, he's from good stock there, and uh, they say that uh, an ounce of breeding is better than a ton of feeding. I think is another saying they use. But I thought that Kilkenny's bench was awesome there yesterday as well, Mike. Um, from seven subs they brought on, they scored one nine. And I suppose in comparison to that, Wexford scored 1-1. And you know, Mike, Wexford's game is running in its energy. And I yeah. just feel that the life got sucked out of them. And the lads that came on for them didn't contribute as much as the Kilkenny lads that came on. It's 1-9 versus 1-1 from your bench. And, you know, they, 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 they win the match then by eight points. But, like, mm-hmm. the other thing for me was uh, Owen Murphy's influence in the game. Absolutely massive. And he tweeted about love and Hawker, you know, and Kilkenny lads love Hawker, you know, I think ever since 2014, since Bubbles Point didn't go over. But uh, like he, he he tweeted saying, no, love Hawker. And you, you love to see that human side of him as well. I know Owen Murphy from Ladsman College and he's great crack, loves yeah. the crack. And it's nice to see the human side of him. But the save he makes, and I think the game is 135, maybe to 229. And mm. Billy Ryan goes up and gets a point, And that's a four point turnaround from Rory O'Connor nearly getting a goal to going up the field, getting a pint. Wally Walsh gets the goal in in the 86 minutes. Sure, you know, that's it. It's game It's game over yeah, then after that. Yeah. But I just thought their bench was, was unbelievable there yesterday. And, you know, I'll talk about Hawkeye. Like, if Hawkeye isn't there, Mike, does Liam, yeah. Ryan's, does Liam Ryan's point not be given as a pint? Is Conor McDonald's goal stands and Wexford win the game mm. by two points? It's all ifs and buts, but you know what? Such an exciting game of hurling. And as we said, five goals and sixty-six points—unbelievable stuff! Like it was—it was great to see over the weekend that 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 exciting hurling and the period. Remember that period of play? I think was highlighted for was yeah. a minute and a half. That was unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. stuff. Brilliant to see it. Like hope we see lots more of it now over the next few weeks. Yeah, some drama. There was a moment actually. It's funny after after Walsh's goal that kind of won the game for Kilkenny. Uh, Kilkenny got a point straight after, and there was a there was a roar from the crowd, and, and it's so quiet because it was only eight thousand people. But I was thinking to myself, it's like no matter how many years they had to do the buttons for the fake noise, they'd never be able to get the specific crowd noises of matches that you go to. That mm. that was a crowd of Jesus. We got out of jail there. We're gonna win this game, and now we're running it up a little bit. And it's almost there's four layers to what that exact sound was. And I heard it. I was like, Jesus, great to have crowds back at matches, isn't it? But, uh, you think about it, only 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 two thousand from each county as well. You know yeah, I mean? imagine, exactly, imagine, yeah. imagine you've got 8,000. I heard, I heard rumors that maybe the Munster final might go to 10,000, Mike. Oh, wow. That would be unbelievable. That'd be brilliant. Please, God, mm-hmm. you know. So imagine so, if you had another five or 6,000 X for people there roaring at the end of that match. Because exactly. I remember the Wexford crowd in 2019. They were loud, so they were <laughs> great fans. Well, the Munster final that might have 10,000 will be tipping Limerick again. Uh, you know, I thought that there was, it was a, a, a point. I was thinking last night when I was watching the interviews on. on um, 
from from Kingston and from Kylie that it shows how far Limerick have come that they win a Munster semi final against Cork by eight points and Cork are talking about how they were pleased with how they played and Limerick are you know they're a little bit disappointed I thought and it's just like Jesus okay. Christ in the last five years Limerick hurling have I don't think have they ever beaten Cork by eight points in a semi final and not been absolutely ecstatic about it you know what I mean in their history it yeah. shows how far they've come doesn't it. It shows how far to come, but I think just to touch on the Cork thing for a second, right? Cork lost against Warnford last year in the Munster Championship, and it was the most lifeless, um, energyless, um, like like passion. There was no passion there from the Cork lads, and the way they lost, the way they lost on Saturday, the performance was much better, and still lost by eight points. Like they're a young team. I think they have ten lads around yeah. the age, un, 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 under the age of twenty-four, the Cork lads. But it's the way, like they actually, they actually outscored um, Limerick on the hooks and blocks. So they, they they worked savagely hard, and I thought at the back like Sean O'Donoghue was it was immense. Kept kept Aaron Galan scoreless from play. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and um, we talk about Sean Finn the other side as well. Like two of them, two top class cornerbacks. Um, but Cork worked really hard. The, the killing thing for him wasn't was was Mike was this. They never closed that gap to a goal, and they had mm-hmm. loads of chances to do it. And you know, even in the final quarter, they just weren't clinical enough. They had five wides. You know, Owen Cadigan's one probably stands out where he's all on his own. That would have brought it back to three. And then you're thinking if they get a goal, if they get a goal. But I suppose Pat Horgan's influence, you just didn't see it. No score from play and didn't score at all in the final quarter. And, mm. you know, it was it was a killer for them. Whereas, you know, Darius Gibbon was very good, three points from play. Jack O'Connor, I thought, was really good, three points from play. Shane Barrett, really good, and he came on, two points from play. Jerome Millerick worked ferociously hard for the team as well. And... As we said, as I mentioned, Sean O'Donoghue at the back. So there was lots of positives to take from. But here we are talking about Cork and how good they were. Yeah. Limerick weren't even that good, right? If I said to you before the match, Aaron Galan won't score from play, Tom Morrissey won't score from play. All right? Mm-hmm. Garrod Hegarty won't have one of his best days, gets taken off. And they still win the match by eight points. But, like, I mean, it's a sign of a true championship team, like, isn't it, like that? Yeah. When Peter Casey gets the sin bin, it's 1-5 to six points. And Limerick outscore... Limerick did to Cork what Tip did to Clare, but they were minus the man. They mm-hmm. outscored them two four to two points, and I yeah. just think it's a sign of the team. They're getting the guys on the ball that they want to get in the ball, like Keen Lynch, Garrod Hegarty. These guys are getting top possessions in the game, and it's no fluke because Limerick want them on the ball. Whereas for Cork, you know, the, the Lashawn O'Donoghue was one of the top possessions, and when your cornerback is one of the top possessions, it's probably not a good sign for the rest of the team. But Limerick know exactly who they want on the ball, and they know exactly who they want on the ball for the opposition as well. But it was to, to get that two four while while Peter Casey was gone. Yeah, and um, it was a killer and a very very unlucky goal. Sean O'Donoghue, the deflection, he did everything right, but the deflection of Daryl Donovan, Kyle Hayes's run not being tracked from wing back, the ball bombed down from a puck out. He runs on, takes a chance, isn't tracked. Lovely pass by Galan, and that to cut in off his right and finish it like. People forget like that Limerick have three top class forwards in their backs. Kyle Hayes, man of the match, all around the final centre forward. Declan Hannon played a lot of his career in the forwards. Barry Nash getting man of the match underage for Limerick in the forwards. So they have guys who are comfortable on the ball and know the type of ball that the forwards want as well. And that was evident from Kyle Hayes yesterday. Not a lot of wing backs would be up there comfortable to cut in off their right. They'd be happy to take the point. I'd be happy to take the point as a midfielder, Mike. But he cut in, buried it below. And... Uh, I just thought, I think Limerick lads, are, I think it's worrying for the rest of us that they won a Munster semi-final by eight points and they didn't play that well. <laughs> like it's, yeah. you know, it's and that's it. That's it. Because there's a, there's like Tip will look at the league and this game and see opportunities, you know, and that's the question then is Limerick have a lot of improving to do 
but even when not at their best, they're at that level now of a hurling team who can, we're talking about Kilkenny, we talk about Dublin and football or whatever, who can win matches, you know, and that's match play is as big a deal as um, as performance level and skill levels and everything like that, you know. So, you know, but Tip are again, the most experienced team they're going to come up against this year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, they will be. Look, and I tell you, look, Mike, I'm, where I'm living here, Balnehinch, uh, we're actually very close to Newport and Newport is basically a suburb now of Limerick. You know, half the people living in Newport are, would actually be Limerick people, you know, and, and even in the school below, I know and we have County Colours Day there in the school, you know, be three or four kids in my class that have Limerick jerseys on. So there's, there, there is a fierce rivalry where, where we are here, you know, with those in the Limerick lads, but it's, you know, it's, it's a good healthy rivalry, but Limerick have had our number now for some time. Like they gave us a fair bait down Park Creve last year in the last Munster final played in 2019. Yeah. They, they gave us by 12 points, I think it was. So, Liam Sheep will be getting these boys ready to go to war, absolute war against Limerick in, in the Munster final in two weeks. And I'm sure John Kiley will be the exact same. You know, there's 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 never any question of passion or anything when it comes to tipping Limerick matches. And, you know, the Munster Cup now is called the Mick Mackey Cup. And, you know, I'm like, what another added incentive for Limerick, you know, with the hand boys involved in Mick Mackey and everything he did for Limerick Hurling and for a hand for them to bring back the Mick Mackey Cup for the first time it's been called mm. the Mick Cup, I, 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 I do believe. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just so many things. Just, just quickly, John, I know, I know, or sorry, Mike, we're, 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 we're flat out talking. The trust that John Kiley has in his players is unbelievable. He's five lads in yellow cards, right? And I just, I was listening to him talking afterwards and he said, in the second half, one of the key things, we had five guys in yellow cards going into it, but we trusted those guys and we didn't take them off. We trust them in their tackling and we didn't pick up another yellow in the second half, which was really a telling factor. Like he's massive trust in them guys, like Dermot Burns is on a yellow and in, in, in the halfback position, you can easily get another one and you'll be gone then. But I tell you, like in, in, in the second half, I think Limerick only gave away it was something like six or seven frees. And yeah. that was the trust and that's the culture they have there. And they're a serious group. Their bench came on and made a difference again. And as I said, win a Munster final by eight points, not playing well. It's, 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 it's worrying for the rest of us, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go, uh, Limerick for Liam once. So I don't know who he is or uh, who he supports, but uh, he <laughs> felt the Limerick, uh, the Peter Casey Simbin was harsh. What do you think of the decision? I just like there is an element though of like the Fife's one for Waterford, this one probably the wrong decision, but one of those understandable wrong decisions where the ref didn't like if he gives the free, he has to give the yellow card almost, you know, whereas it's yeah. very different than the Ed McCarthy one. Yeah, that's it. It was inside the D, I suppose. It's careless use of the hurley as well, wasn't it? He came in over the top with the hurley. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose people are saying, was it a clear goal scoring chance? Which is this, look, we could be here all day talking about it. <laughs> it is, as, as I said, I think, I think what Fergal Horgan said early in the year is. It is really a matter of opinion, and it is down to the ref. But I think what people would like to see is, right, if the ref's not sure, if he makes the decision, fine. But maybe have a chat with the other eight officials around. I'm talking about fourth officials, umpires either end, you know, linesmen, whoever can see it, whoever might have seen it, um, seen a clear view of it. it. It is down to a matter of opinion of the refs. The refs will have talk about this in depth. Uh, I suppose to answer the question, do I think that it, the sin bin was harsh? I, I don't think it was harsh because I think, that it was a matter of opinion of the ref, and the ref felt that he was inside the D, it was careless use of the hurley. So going by the rule book and the matter of that particular ref, I, I think it, it was it was a sin bin by letter law. But great save by Nicky Quaid, but I suppose like Ava Quilligan, it go on the wrong side of him for Shamey. Pat Horgan did put it to the to the right side of Nicky Quaid, mm. which is who's who, who am I to Pat Horgan would take penalties? I, I barely score on the back garden here. 
<laughs> Shane, listen, I, we've got a, we've got much longer than uh, producers shouting in my ear uh, here, but at the same time, I don't think a weekend like that uh, could afford a minute less than it. But uh, thanks a million for uh, brilliant analysis all the way through. So uh, we'll we'll give you the week off. We'll talk a bit of football next week, and we'll we'll catch up with you for the finals in a couple of weeks. Great, great stuff. Thanks, Mike. All the best. Thanks a million, Shane. Uh, don't forget, if you enjoyed that chat, please do subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you're listening to the show uh, back, so uh, please do hit the subscribe button and we'll be here with you every Monday with uh, Shane. Unbelievable analysis there from Shane and, of course, uh, with Darren O'Sullivan when we're talking football. He'll be back with us next week. Right now, though, we're going to speak to uh, Morris Brosnan. We're going to get inside the game and talk a little bit about his GA Embedded article from last week. Okay, delighted to say that as part of our GA Embedded show, we are going to have Balls alumnus, Morris Brosnan, with us every weekend. But no, no longer uh, full-time with Balls, Morris, but now just uh, spending 20 to 40 hours of watching live GA in Melbourne every week. Uh, that's, and that's basically how you kind of spent your, your, uh, your couple of years out of the country. Yeah, this will be a weekly check-in with a very sleep-deprived me. Um, but very excited, especially after the weekend. If the weekend stay like this, I'll m- very much be happy to sacrifice sleep. Definitely, absolutely. And uh, Morris has been doing a GEA embedded article for us every week, um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. We'll talk about this week's one, find out what next week's one's going to be. And that's going to be part of the show as we go on. But Morris, I do want to talk to you. We've just spent a lot of time and God, there was a lot of talk, a lot to talk about with Shane McGrath. Uh, but there was a lot of football on this weekend as well. I and mean, we'll have Darren on next week, obviously, but I don't want to kind of uh, overlook it. Your own county Galway. I, I don't know what to make of this game because every, there was a lot of kind of negative talk. I see Galway fans aren't too happy with how they played. And I'm just thinking, like, they went to Hyde Park and won a Connacht semi-final. Like, there's, you know, if you think of it, there's three teams in Connacht. Any of them can beat any of them on any day. I'd be happy enough, like. Yeah, not for the first time, Mick. I agree with you 100%. I, I don't understand, really, the negativity around this game in general, to be honest. You know, like, the conditions were dire, were absolutely oh, so dire. Bad, yeah. I think the risks of a knockout championship, you know, we can complain about a knockout championship, what it does to weaker counties, the fact that they don't get a second chance, they don't get a chance to progress. But equally, it puts so much pressure on the stronger counties, the middle-tier counties, that in a do-or-die situation, I can fully appreciate why the temptation to revert to a degree of conservatism is so strong. So, you know, mm-hmm. now it's in saying that, I mean, I think there's kind of two parallels coming out of this game. There's certain people who are talking about Roscommon and how defensive they set up, which, you know, to a certain extent, I can kind of see their perspective. And they, you know, think Roscommon were fully entitled to set up how they did. And, you know, and the other people then are thinking, how, why did Roscommon come out and play like this? And, you know, if they come out and had a rattle off them, you know, at the very least, they could put up their own court. And to be honest, I kind of fall down in the middle of it, really. I think that, um, you know, Roscommon are fully entitled to set up as defensively as they are. I think they are very well drilled defensively. But the idea that we talk about these conversations in, isolation as if it's nfl and you're talking about a defense on one side and that attack on the other side is kind of nonsense to be honest and i think it's very clear you know you can look at teams who are very well coached and roscommon are extremely well coached defensively they have a really solid setup uh you know i i, I would think that's fully deserving of praise but equally it's very clear that that inhibits their attacking ability and their attacking game plan actually so you know you come yeah. into this game you somebody like connor cox who is uh, a star corner forward now Connor Cox is his conversion before this game is 40% which you know like is that's just that's not good enough that's shooting from 20 years ago to be honest and his wides you know on Sunday epitomized that they were even worse and the reason that Connor Cox's wides are so bad is because you know that's either evidence of one a guy going against the game plan or two not enough time spent developing an attacking strategy 
on on training ground. You know, now that's, that's fully understandable. This is a, a compromised year. We've had a really shortened preseason. Uh, a league campaign like Ross Commons, the league campaign was very important for them because they, you know, Division One is was their priority. But equally, it's very clear that that wasn't something that they had developed, and that robbed them. You know, you, you've got a guy that was not in isolation. That their shooting as a whole, decision making going forward was really poor. And you know, if you were to, this is very you know simplistic analysis, but if you were to compare, compare and contrast, Galway. You know, I, I don't know if Galway were that more offensive, to be honest. But what Galway did do really, really well was, you know, they took their chances extremely well. They got runners up the field. They've got a really good balance. I really like the balance of this Galway team. I, you know, the, Galway are a young team. I don't know if that's appreciated enough. You're, you're, you know, Damien Comer and Shane Walsh are, what, 27, 28. They should be in their prime. And in reality, they're the leaders of this team. That You know, you're looking to them to be the, the experienced heads because you look down the spine of the team. Well, Kearns is not there that long. Uh, Dylan McHugh is only there the very recently. The player who would be there is John Daly, again, who's, who's very young. Matthew Tierney is making a championship debut. Uh, Paul Connery is probably a guy you're looking for a leader. Peter Cook, you know, 2019, we're all excited about him. He goes away for 2020. He's just back in there, so there's no continuity there. So you, you need those players to kind of come together. And that's why, you know, there could be some bad days coming for Galway as well. But overall, I actually do like the direction they're going for. I like the balance in the team. I like their athletic ability. They're young in terms of, you know, Park Wall. Park Joyce, what he's doing in Galway, I really like. He's got um, a feeder squad, he calls it, which is where he's kind of, you know, this is a good way to try and develop a pathway to in- introduce the under-20s. They're really successful in the 20s from last year. The next, this current crop look pretty good too. So those players can can knock around there in this feeder squad. They feel a part of it. They're not, you know, disenfranchised from the senior team. At the same time, you know, Galway are also missing uh, Michael Daly, the, which is it was a big loss. Killy McDade back from Australia, he's out injured. John Daly, as I, as I mentioned previously, Tom Flynn is injured. The biggest loss of, of anybody, I think the biggest loss in, to this year's championship is one team that's desperate needs a player back it's Galway and Ian Burke because if they had him as an mm. outball option inside as something different I think it would revolutionize it but overall like I, I I enjoyed the game to be honest I didn't think it was that bad um I, you know it was hardy it was honest that you know there was a bit of bite to it which is good to see you know some of the tackles that went in Kieran Malloy got nearly put back you know kept driving on Peter Cook had the jersey ripped off him that kind of stuff was good to see you know it's entertaining so uh, I thought it was a good good game and a good win for Galway yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a question I would say that we could probably get into another time when we maybe see another team or two do it of whether the the, the defensive, you know, maybe some things are right for the game, but could Ross Common, if they won, play a different way against Mayo? And maybe, as we talked yeah. about to Aaron last week, maybe these things are passe, and if you want to get to the next level, you do need to have maybe attacking is the style of play that's predominantly used by the big teams at the moment for a reason, you know, and that you can yeah. only get to a certain, maybe you can stop Galway, but they did lose the match. And I do think that's worthy of a discussion maybe another time, but I would agree with you on the positivity of Galway. And I actually think that the, the young team thing definitely isn't talked about enough. There was times yesterday where I was kind of looking up guys trying to remember where they were from or who, where, what team they'd come from or what age they were, you know, and that's because we only saw Galway once last year. In, uh, in in the kind of final after they got the bye and so on and so forth. But you mentioned Matthew Tierney making his debut there. We'll talk about a more recent article you did um, on Balzali in a minute, but you wrote a um, a brilliant piece a couple of years ago um, for Balls on Matthew Tierney playing for, I think, the under-20s then and his father, Matt, who'd, um, who'd had a, like a, a tragic accident back in 1988 and just the full circle of it all. And he was superb yesterday and looks like a... a, a a real player now and that kind of story is is prominent again i suppose yeah and you know like that's that's the favorite interview i've done in, you know ever for, for writing it's it's one a piece that's kind of stayed with me i remember actually messaged her after the interview and like just this year it was kind of kind of guy you know there was nothing i'm out here in men with winners 
there's nothing I would love more to be sitting at home with a pint of Guinness, sitting down with Matt Tierney and chatting football for hours upon hours because he's just that type of fella from when I went to meet him in Galway. Um, you know, like the first the young Matthew, like to make a championship debut and be as impressive as he was was phenomenal. I, I, I don't know if you can appreciate it enough. Also, his versatility, you know, this is a guy who's he's feeling ball impeccably well defensively. He's chasing back into Smith, he's contributing going forward. He takes over the freeze on a championship debut in those conditions to take over the freeze and be as cool as he was is kind of phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the whole story, his father, who, you know, th- this was 2018, I think, NUIG got to the Signals Cup final. 30 years previously, his, his father played for, uh, at the time, University College Galway, um, was their best player, you know, in full forward. They, they lost their court team that had Morris Fitzgerald. Um, that was, unfortunately, that was his last game. He was involved in a car accident after that game. And just, you know, the, the sheer, I remember him, one thing he said to me was that he was so proud of his sons and not only how they play football, the way that they conduct themselves. And I think Matthew kind of epitomizes that. He just, he's a, you know, a brutally honest, hardworking player uh, with absolute class. You could play him. I, you know, he's one of those players and it's, it's a new generation. You know, we talked about this previously with kind of Michael Murphy. Um, Kieran Kilkenny is another one. You could probably play him in any line of the field if you want and he would yeah. sell there. Even when he was tired, he was in the edge of the square and he's, he's a huge threat. Um, and then, you know, just the whole story. I, I love that story. His older brother in the, when, I grew up in Galway. We had a big rivalry, Barna and Uchtarard. It would have been like the, the underage rivalry. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, we played an underage final, uh, West Sport, under under 14 maybe final. And it went to extra time, went to extra, extra time. And Bosco McDermott, John McDermott, the famous Bosco McDermott's son, Bosco, who won multiple All-Irelands for Galway, came out onto the pitch and stopped the game. He was our coach and said, what are we doing here? You know, th- these lads are 14. They're going at it hard. This is a brilliant game. Why don't we share the cup? And we did. We shared the trophy in an underage. So, and that Uchtarar team, the bulk of that team is the great Uchtarar team that got to an intermediate final last year. The two tyrannies, you know, uh, Matthew's older brother, Enda, was around the Galway squad as well. He played for that NUIG team that got to the Sigerson final. Um, they also had a couple of star forwards, the Lees. And, you know, but just, yeah, it, it is. I think it's probably the story of the summer, to be honest, because just to see the, how well it's worked out, it's kind of for it to come full circle as it, as it has. And, yeah, that's, you know, I wouldn't wish Anton both the best for, for him and, and for his family. Definitely. We'll tweet out a link. I think that was 2018 uh, you did that piece. We'll tweet out a link uh, straight away, actually, if you're watching this now, and, and we'll put it out again later. Um, you should definitely all have a read of that interview with Matt Tierney Sr. Um, from a couple of years ago that Morris did. Morris, we're nearly out of time. I want to get to the hand signals. I really do. But uh, Armagh and um, and Monaghan both look pretty decent, especially Monaghan, I would say, in Ulster. Uh, Kildare and Westmead should actually be a pretty good Leinster semi-final in the most interesting province to get to, to you know, in, if you're on one side of it, to get to a final. Yeah. But here's the thing. Mead people are getting excited because they hammered the shine out of Longford. They weren't expecting to. And Dublin were brutal against Wexford, and everybody's talking about how it's all about Stephen Cookson, and if he goes, he goes. I did see Vinnie Murphy actually tweeting, saying that, like, you know, People don't actually realise how big an impact this is going to be. Dublin have already lost a few leaders and a few kind of like big players over the last couple of years. You know, you lose Jack McCaffrey, Paul Mannion, whoever it might be over, like, you know, any team is going to be affected by losing, you know, players like that. And if you lose possibly the most important Gaelic football player of all time on top of that, eventually something is going to give. But, you know, let, let, let's nip the let's nip the mead optimism in the bud straight away first. Yeah, well, you know, but like, I, that's not a point I've thought about before, you know, about Dublin. But if you think about it, you know, like, it's it, the whole thing about Dublin, this fame last year, Brian Howard and Paul Mannion, how, how could they possibly have them on the bench? But, the, you know, and this is the, the reinforcements, the constant juice and reforms that they're so good at. And then, you know, they lose, like, Small, who's, you know, the starting uh, centre-back. That doesn't seem like too big a loss. And then Keanu Sullivan retires because of his uh, hamstring issues. And suddenly, you know, Brian Howard has to plug a gap there. And I just think, you know, the, the level of intelligence that those players bring. And Cluxon epitomises it. I remember... 
um, we did a podcast after the draw, the 2019 drawn final, Dublin and Kerry. And uh, myself and yourself were absolutely amazed at Cluxon's intelligence to, you know, it was something that it's like a thing you would say in theory, it sounds great, but you never ever see it in practice. And Cluxon pushes up, you know, they're, they're Dublin are down to 14 players. Johnny Cooper has been sent off and all Cluxon does is push up a line and he marks Tommy Walsh and he allows Dublin push up every single line. So you're looking at this game and you're thinking, where is the overlap? Why can't Kerry get space here? And the fact is they can't because Stephen Cluxon set the tempo by coming out of his goals by marking Tommy Walsh. And you know, that's a kind of in-game intelligence. We're going to talk about this later, actually. That's mm. in-game intelligence. You can't buy. And you can't, you're not going to generate that in training in, in a season or in two seasons. That is, you know, this is a guy who's been at the, at the elite, the peak of his game for 10 seasons, bringing that to action. That wasn't that long ago. You, you remove that from the team. It is a, it's a chink in the armor. I don't think it's a big enough chink for me to get at them. But I do, I do think it definitely weakens them. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, look, it was a more interesting weekend of football than I think will will be naturally given credit because of how insane the hurling was. But that's the 2021 yeah. championship, I think, you know, and it'll probably, we'll have opposite weeks as well, I think, where, where football grabs the imagination. But it's uh, it's all set up now, I think, that for, for uh, you know, I think there's, is there 14 teams out already? Uh, you know, which is insane. But uh, a lot of the good teams are still there. Wanted to talk to you about this uh, GA embedded article you did for us last week. Uh, your first one of the season. There's going to be plenty of them. Um, you wrote about um, hand signals in Gaelic football, and I suppose we're talking about you know a, a bit of a grey in er- area of analysis um, over the years still, where everything else is so hyper done. But I think maybe one that's maybe easier uh, found out about uh, and 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 countered, I suppose, than people would think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you're right to say it's a grey area because there's no, like, what's your metric to measure hand signals, you know, or on-field communication? There is none. You know, it's, it's a totally ambiguous area. One of the examples I gave in the piece was uh, NFL analysts talking about how do you, like, what is the one thing that statistics can't measure? And um, Warren Sharp, there's a bunch of stuff for a lot of teams actually in the NFL said, you know, it's, it's on-field communication, it's audibles, it's reactions to certain screens. The, the example, I mean, you notice yourself, the perfect example is Tom Brady, like his ability to, to read defense line and uh, pick a gap. And, and, you know, that's just, it's, it is intangible. But at the same time, it's also, that's, you, you can analyze it. And, you know, like, I don't think hand signals are, there's nothing new there. You know, this is going back to the 80s where, you know, the carry stuff where their goalkeepers bending down to tie laces or, you know, uh, I remember we uh, I did a piece a couple of years ago about David Fitzgerald when he started out in the, the Fitzgibbon and he'd have a, a water bottle and a cap in his hand and depending on which one he held, held up, the goalkeeper was the bucket to either side. You know, this is, this is, this is old hat stuff. But um, I, I kind of think that we're going to see it less and less because of coaching, because it's the improvement in coaching. And I actually think that's important because, you know, the example, one of the examples in the piece I gave is Claire, the Claire footballers who had a, you know, a, a pretty telltale sign where they were um, holding, you know, goalkeeper holds his right hand up, he's going deep left, left hand up, deep right. So either he, he picks a short one, if the short one is a non, he's holding his hand up, he's holding right hand up, and that ball was going deep to the left hand side. And the problem was that Aidan O'Shea in the league semi-final was all over that. He broke it down yeah. within five minutes because, you know, in-game intelligence is so important. And that's why, you know, I think the, the best frameworks aren't actually signals really or they're one-off signals you know so the best frameworks are giving a goalkeeper like a couple of different options what Claire did against Kerry which was actually statistically more successful was just a really simple bunch and break your, you know your six defenders come together in the middle they break shoot off in either side the goalkeeper then you trust the goalkeeper to pick out the best option and you know that gives him an option so there's a bit of guidance there there's a bit of overarching structure but it's not you know it's not it's not you know this handed down this mandate you do this this is the call you do this and it, because the problem with that is that in an era of incredible analysis uh, all these camera angles the backroom teams just you know bigger than squads 
that that's mm. easily broken down and it might last once or twice so, you know dublin have used by the way dublin used that's one of the examples in the piece dublin used housing in the past but ultimately i don't think it's something that you can you can you can guarantee long-term success with and what you know does guarantee long-term success is developing tax world flexibility in-game you know in-game intelligence we just talked about but cluxon is the, the case example dublin actually had the best example and and that's you know ultimately where if you're from a coaching perspective you need to get to yeah, so we're probably at the stage now where and I was going to mention this with that Dublin one that you mentioned where uh, one of the players puts up the X to sort of say this free yeah. is going in long. Uh, you can see it there. Yeah, but like, is there as much in that as in like, you know, we're not actually trying to fool the opposition. It's just that I can't shout that far and then hear me in with 80,000 people in Crow Park and I just need to let them know. But you're basically going, go long. I've often wondered, you know, in, in football, in soccer, like where, uh, you know, the player will put up his hand before he whacks a corner into the box. Corners, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the universal symbol. It's like, who are you doing it for? And maybe it's just like, <laughs> maybe sometimes we don't have to think, they're not coded, they don't have to be a secret. Yeah. I just need the centre forward to know that this ball is coming into them. It doesn't matter if the defender also knows it. Exactly. That's, you know, and that's what you said there about the, the influence of the crowd is a really good point as well, because I, I've noticed in this year's championship, signals don't happen as much. But because there was so the absence of crowds, you know, we get footage now, and I would much rather watch games without commentary. Not because commentary is bad, but just because you pick up on small little things. And now you've gone to get audible's calls. You know, if anybody watched our common Galway game yesterday, you would have heard uh, the sideline shouting 300, 300. Now, like, I have my own theories about what that is, but I'm not fully sure. Uh, not enough to risk it here, anyway. But, but, but you know, th that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, 44 was a really common one that, you know, five years ago, everybody was calling 44. And that's just, you know, self-explanatory. You ask anybody and it's that's the line that players need to get to just inside the 45. Um, one plus is another one you hear kind of, kind of it's a fairly common one. Um, I You know, red was one that you heard a lot a long time ago, which was long ball inside. You heard that a lot during last year's uh, championship, actually. Um, and, you know, that you just made the case there about the X. The X is just red but non-verbal. It's just a way of doing it in Crow Park where the full forward line probably aren't going to hear you. So, and, you know, it's like... I think in that circumstance, it's actually, I wouldn't, you, you wouldn't be that critical of it. It has a place, I guess, uh, in, you know, for, but you know, you're not basing a full game plan around that. Like Dublin's, you know, game plan is this, you know, would you call it game plan A or is it B, C, D, E, F, G? You know, it's hard to actually pin down any of that. Um, it's just, you know, a little gimmick that can add to it. So it still has a certain amount of place, but I definitely don't think, you know, from a kickout perspective, from an attacking perspective, you should, you know, should wrap your whole game plan around it. Okay, so we're probably not going in. So your thing is like it has its place, but it's not going to be. It's not something that we're going to see more and more of. If anything, it's going to be less and less. We're not going to see double reverse jinx, uh, bluffs, uh, bluff. Uh, you know where the the defenders or the the midfielders are supposed to understand uh, which one is false and which one which one is a false flag and which one isn't for every goalkeeper kickout. We're not getting to that point. Hopefully. No, and. Yeah, well, yeah, fingers crossed. And also, Mick, it goes back to what we were saying about Roscommon earlier and your points, you know, the, the whole point is, you know, Roscommon can spend all his time developing a, a defensive game plan or you can spend a load of time on the training ground developing really efficient signals that the opposition can't break down. But you, you need to try to think about your resources and how you do, do spread your time efficiently. And are you best served? Like, is that going to win you a game if you spend you know, an hour of every hour and a half session just working on your defense or an hour of every hour and a half session just working on these signals for uh, a kickout strategy? Or would you be better served in investing, you know, that hour in absolutely nailing your basic skills, you know, catch, kick, pass, getting that absolutely perfect and then allowing, you know, intel developing intelligent players, you know, good decision makers and uh, skill execution at a really high level. And that might stand to you a lot more from a long-term perspective than, you know, how you, you dedicate your time. You know, this as you said, you know, was common. Roscommon can spend all that time get, getting a, like what was a really impressive defensive strategy in, in place, 
But what, where does it get you? You know, if you spend all this time, you know, you could, I could easily, you know, it, it doesn't take that long for a coach on a, a training session. We've all had them who would spend, you know, an hour and a half, a couple of times a week just on one signals, but it doesn't get you anywhere. You know, you need to think mm. about your resources and what, what the efficient use of your time in coaching. And uh, I think from Dublin, you know, are, are the case example of that, you know, for all, we, we talk about signals, just have to do really, really well at, at our basics. Okay, well, the piece is well worth to read. It's uh, Morris's first GA embedded article. Uh, he's had look, a few more. We just haven't called it that, but uh, you can go back <laughs> and read it anyway on the site. And what have you got in store for us this week? We'll chat to you about next week. I'm thinking about something along that idea of how teams execute their basics and how integral it actually is to games. You know, you can see, like, you know, teams are, will, somebody will burst themselves, put so much effort into making a full field run. They'll get a 3v2 overlap and a bad hand pass loops too, too wide and it kills, you know, a, a really good goal chance. Uh, from, from a tackle perspective, you know, you get players who, you know, 40, 50 minutes in, lazy tackles. And that's not down to fitness. That's just down to, you know, basic executions. And it, like, it's a cliche and people kind of roll their eyes when you say, you know, the thing that separates Dublin apart is that they are so good at their basics. But it's a cliche because it's true. You know, Dublin, the use of their hand pass, for example, they're their kicking ability and that's you know that was if there was any red flag from the game yesterday that's the stuff that would worry about dublin you know their execution of basics was was pretty poor now that could just be down to you know their i'd say they're peaking for probably another month's time and maybe you know that yeah. that was inflated they're thinking yesterday but uh yeah i think something on those lines okay well great stuff we look forward to that keep an eye on balls for that one over the course of the week um just trying to get you sort of embedded to, to borrow the word in sort of uh, the GA tactics and just look at it a little bit deeper than we have for those of us who maybe watch the game on a more superficial and surface level than Morris does. We like to get, you know, so we can have something to talk about, but then we know a little bit more than we do. Uh, before I let you go, Morris, right, you, one of the things that was, uh, you know, that was very close to your heart during your time at Balzali was um, the Rolling All-Stars, uh, something that we're doing with PwC this year again to for their 50th anniversary of the All-Stars this year. We'll be launching it this week, Hurling and football will be running it all the way through the year. The idea, of course, being that we pick an all-star team after every round of the championship and therefore kind of don't forget the early round. Somebody has to exactly, do something yeah. to get somebody out of. Somebody has to have more consistent performances to get somebody out of the team. There is a team there that's already picked that, you know, you hold on to the shirt, in, if you will, so that it's not all picked in, uh, you know, the middle of September or whatever it is uh, when everybody only remembers the final. You used to have a lot of impact on this. We're all struggling without you. We're having conversations all weekend. Nobody knows the hurling especially is like there could be 60 lads already in this team and there's only about six or seven viable teams, which is shows you the standard. If I was to give you one player, one, one player veto, or not veto, but the kind of a defining vote on any, both hurling and football, who must be in the rolling all-stars week one starting tomorrow? Yeah, like that's a really good question, and I think the important thing to note for people who aren't familiar with this concept is that this isn't a all stars predictions. This isn't you know you're looking at somebody no. like David Clifford who again who was very good against Clare, and you think oh well, he's definitely going to get an all star. This is if you were to give the weighted performance that we've seen so far this year, who should be in it? And in, you know with that in mind, you know, there are players, there are obvious ones that I could offer here and say this he has to be in it. But um, the one for me for football anyway is uh, Keen Farrell from Offaly. The full forwards from Eden Derry. Um, he scored eight points yesterday against Kildare. Scored seven points week four against Loud. You know, at twenty-one year olds. Um, people might be familiar with. He was earmarked very early on as I know, become a young player. And then he was actually amazing in the Citizen Cup last year for Carlo T. But uh, after the final, he had that freak injury where he stood on glass and needed surgery and was out for the year. Uh, comes back in this year. And I, I like I just you know we talked earlier about like 
honest but talented players and he just epitomizes that for me i actually think uh, for anybody who saw the Kildare game yesterday you know the, the very first eight minutes in the ball goes in long uh King, mark dempsey is he's not facing the ball he's pulling at king farrell and if king mm. farrell goes down there that's a, that's a black card you know it's a stonewall black card he's, he's on the edge of the, there's no other defender there um but he doesn't he tries to stay on his feet and he kicks the ball wide after being fouled and he doesn't even get a free which you know says his own self but if anybody hasn't seen um if, if you're not familiar with king farrell just go and watch his i think it was his first score from play just before the water break left-footed points uh the, the dummy left which was out of this world comes back in straight on his laces puts the ball over the bar there's a big fight in the sideline just before the water break then he wants nothing to do with it goes over gets his water comes back and finishes with eight points so yeah i think king farrell based off the last two games uh for Offaly, you know he's also he's, he's you know, Offaly got a lot of praise for their style, but they do get numbers back as well. And sometimes he's mm-hmm. the lone player up there, a lone out ball. And that can be a difficult place to do. But I think I thought he gave um, gave Demp- Dempsey a, a real tough day yesterday. And, uh, you know, from th- just both games, by the way, you know, because obviously um, what he, how he played against Loud as well. I think, yeah, definitely from, from an Offaly perspective, yeah. Keane Farrell. And from well, Hurling... Choice. Yeah. Uh, from Hurling, uh, on this team of maybe underrated players, um, a player that, you know, like what the thing is there's been a lot of discomfort about the way hurling is going right now and i ultimately i think you know what do we want from hurling we want uh like hardy exciting hurling and uh hurler and i'm sure mick you would agree with this who epitomizes that for me over the last few games is Colin malone from claire um i just think mm-hmm. the, from a work rate perspective uh, he, he's absolutely integral to the way claire want to play because for, You know, it does not have somebody who's up the field and working back the way Cahill Malone does. Uh, he carries the trek one forward the other, the other way as well, which is, is really important. And, you know, that, that seems like something that is basic. And then you look around just at the championship right now and, you know, Gareth Hegarty probably get yesterday a point or maybe two from play. Um, This has been a long-standing issue for Tipperary that they don't get enough out of their, their, their working half-forward line, even, though, you know, to a certain extent, their midfield. So, like, I, what Cahill Malone does for a Clare perspective, I think, is brilliant. I think his work rate is, it gives Clare so much. Um, I think that stuff can, you know, it might go undepreciated after a summer or a weekend that we just saw and, you know, we've, TJ Ray doing what he does and, you know, players shooting the lights out and, you know, Tony Kelly skirting the fringes of the game and yes, Steady has won one for half time, which is all very, very impressive. But I think, you know, from a, the, giving you 90% exactly what you want, hard work, you know, pure and utter work rate, just absolutely doggedness. Uh, Malone epitomizes that for me. And, you know, I think that the, the whole point that rolling art has is kind of rewarding that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I mean, me, I, I, I spoke to Shane about that kind of player when we spoke last week on last week's show, and Colin Malone and Dan McCormick were the two players that we mentioned. And yeah. Dan McCormick got man in the match yesterday, and Colin Malone in your rolling all star team. I have to say though, like you know, it, it's that's a classic Morris pick because my two veto picks or whatever would be uh, Sean O'Shea and Danny Sutcliffe, which is a little <laughs> bit more key <laughs> yeah, yeah. forwards. <laughs> sure, classic <laughs> hipster picks, yeah. <laughs> Room for room for all these types of players on the team. Marit, <laughs> uh, thanks a million for joining us. We'll chat to you next week. Um, I think we'll probably be talking a little bit more hurling to make up for the uh, the football talk that we'll be doing with uh, with Darren O'Sullivan next week. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, everybody keep an eye out on uh, Balzali for Morris's article this week. Cheers, Mick. Still to come on the show, we've got PJ and Gary standing by to play Guess the Handicaps. But right now, we're going to have a look at one of our, our kind of deep dives into the GEA world in a non-timely fashion. Last week, we uh, our man Finch brought you through the best away jerseys of the uh, 2021 season. But we're going way more timeless now. We're going to look at some of the greatest GEA haircuts of all time. Important business. Haircuts are a sacred thing in the GAA. Obviously, we all know about the fabled championship haircut, but sometimes lads can get a bit outlandish with it. So, 
we thought you'd run you through the seven best GA haircuts of all time. Let's get right to it. There's truly nothing more mid-2000s than utilising a poor bleach job. Yeah, when you add it to an off-kilter mohawk, that just makes it even more 2005, and Scott Conroy did that. When Jer Oakley started off his hairdressing odyssey, he had a full beard before he chopped that thing off and realised that sideburns were the way to go for him. He finally got to his destination, he just took the securitist route to get it, and I respect him. That's right folks, we're back to bottle of bleach blonde jobs here, and who could forget Mark Vaughan? The Dublin man really wanted to mask the fact that he was actually ginger, and he applied as much bleach as you would to a murder scene on top of his head. Boom boom boom, and let me hear you say short back and sides, short back and sides. Jason Sherlock was the poster boy of the GAA in the mid 90s, and with a haircut that you could set his watch to, that just made it all better. Fair play to you Jason. There's just something so beautiful about Tom Parsons' natural curly mop. They're so stoic yet springy. They're the envy of my eye and indeed anybody who watched Tom Parsons play. You wouldn't be surprised if the people of Donegal would consider Jim McGuinness a messiah for what he did as manager of the county. Yet, during his playing days, he really did look like Jesus Christ of Bethlehem or Nazareth. McGuinness is from Glenties. Kieran MacDonald was a maverick. Certainly with his play on the pitch, but especially with the hairstyles that he brought to the GAA. He's the only man that could get away with cornrows or crow park, and that is facts. Okay. Okay, uh, that was uh, Finchie's uh, look at the best uh, GA haircuts. I don't know. Mark Vaughan for me, lads. Anyone? Does anyone current, PJ and Gary are joining us, obviously, to guess the handicaps. Anyone current? Uh, there's very, very um, homogenous haircuts in the GA these days, isn't it? Everything, everything's just... Yeah, yeah. Keen Lynch had this mad mop of like bleach blonde hair last year. Which, like, yeah, it didn't yeah, last, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't last very long. I've, uh, it's, I, it's ruined and hurling by the helmets, it has to be said, though, isn't it? There's no there's no opportunity for it. I think Conor McDonald had a pretty good haircut for a couple of years, but so few people would know about it, lads. I can't believe uh, he left out uh, Fat Larry. Anthony Finnerty with like a with like a combination of uh, Tom Parsons and uh, Jim McGuinness. So it was this kind of curly mop uh, and and also a mullet at the same time. <laughs> exactly, it's like he's got all the natural tendencies of Tom Parsons. Tom Parsons didn't have a haircut; he just had a ha- he just had hair, you know. Uh, but yeah, Larry or Anthony, as his actual name was, <laughs> he could have mullet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's haircuts for you, lads. Uh, we've already gone on. We're an hour 15 into the show. We've been talking about hand signals, um, Gaelic football, and a lot of hurling with Shane McGrath, who was absolutely fantastic earlier on in the show. And we've even got some haircuts in. So we've left ourselves just enough time to guess the handicaps on all five of the uh, provincial football games that are on at the weekend. Gary is the reigning champ, as usual here. Uh, PJ's vowed all week the trash talk has been unbelievable in our Slack channels as PJ's vowed to knock him off his throne. All he has to do is check uh, the website where the results are, but he's vowed not to do that. Uh, instead, he's going to guess them. We're going to start with Saturday's uh, Munster semi-finals starting at 3pm in the Gaelic grounds, the LIT Gaelic grounds where Limerick uh, talked a bit about Limerick with Darren O'Sullivan last week and their unbelievable improvement over the last few weeks and how they might fancy themselves to knock off Cork 
PJ as a challenger in these mm -hmm. uh, in the rules that I make up every week, uh, completely afresh. I'm going to let you go first in this one. Uh, it's been like a, I think as you discussed, it's been a really good year for Limerick so far. I mean, like nearly getting stay in Division Three, like near like the one two games, uh, like last uh, Tip and Whitlow, but. I feel like this is going to, like like Claire, you know, this is going to be like the end of of their good year. Like, uh, it's it, it's an interesting card team to me because they have a lot of like really good young players coming through. Um, there's like Chami looks like a really good player in the full back line. Um, Ben O'Donnell in the full forward line. A young lad named Kalamani. All these lads are like won another twenty All Ireland two years ago. So they 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 seem to be bringing kind of like a new attitude to this card team, which. Definitely helped. Uh, Cork favourites, I think. Cork minus six. Cork minus six. Okay, Gary. Uh, yeah. When you're thinking there, actually, I will just mention Chris Quinn makes a very, very good point on YouTube here where he says, what about Dublin Keen, Dublin's Keen O'Callaghan's mullet? Um, and again... And another another mullet hit by, by a helmet. Exactly, yeah, but it's definitely there. I, I, I got a glimpse of it. Uh, it reminds me also of Keno Sullivan, who had an interesting haircut or two, uh, you know, to recently recently retired. But um, his moustache obviously is the most defining, uh, you know, thing that he'll have in his in, in his career in in terms of his hair. Anyway, maybe the All Irelands will define him slightly more. But anyway, Gary, go on. Cork and Limerick. We are we have uh, Cork minus six. <laughs> Yeah, like obviously Limerick had a good win last week. It's kind of at least they got a win under their belt, though, unlike Clare, who got drawn against Kerry in the first round. So, uh, I, Cork will be favourites. I'm going to say I'm going to go minus seven. I think it might be a little bit more than minus six. Gary, you're just unplayable. Unplayable it is Cork minus seven, which I think again. <laughs> I would love if I was Limerick. The higher, the better if you're Limerick in this game. Regardless, of, you know, maybe Cork will win. They are obviously rightly favourites, but higher, the better here. Let's write them off. So uh, you have a chance to take this one, but we're on uh, we're on safe ground for PJ here. 7 o'clock, Semple Stadium, Munster Champions Tipperary versus the uh, you know up-and-coming young lads. Uh, ho ho hope to put on a show, and if they win, they win in the Kingdom of Kerry. How's this one going to go? I wonder, has there ever been a defending Munster champion coming into the championship after been relegated from Division 3 of the league? I'd say it's probably unlikely. <laughs> um, but, like, obviously, Tip have had an absolute disaster of a year. It's, it's, this is not the game they want right now, I would say. Uh, I wonder, will Kerry have a bit of a leg up after seeing Dublin at the weekend? Like, you know, not exactly setting the world alight. Stephen Cluxton questions there. He probably isn't going to come back, it looks like. Uh so, like, obviously, Kerry are going to be big favourites here. I don't know. Pick your number. Like, minus 12, I'll say, for Kerry. Okay, PJ. You have a chance yeah. here. Uh, Kerry, like, somehow Kerry against Clare managed to score 322, win by, what, 17 points, but also dampen the hype. Uh, it was a remarkable achievement. Like, a lot, a lot of that had to do with scoring two points after the break, before the water break. So... Uh, I'm sure yeah. Peter Keane did that. That'll have uh, made Third Peter quarter. Keane very, very like you know. We all know what Peter Keane is like. Peter Keane doesn't like the hype. He'll be he'll probably be pretty happy with that. Um, interesting to see Sean O'Shea came close, close to goal in that game. I'll see if he, that continues in this one. This tip team, like it, like there is a feeling that they like they achieved something last year, and then like what more do you think you can do after like after you win you win Munster there probably is a feeling of achievement and then you know it maybe you're not as motivated 
in like the following year. Um, also, you consider they are without Colin Reard. Like Colin Reard was so important mm. last year when when they like in those when in Munster. Um, I I do think that minus twelve is way too much though. It still gets like a decent Tipperary team. I'm gonna say Kerry minus ten. What did Kerry beat Clare by in the end? Seventeen. 17, right. I think that might have influenced it. As you said, everyone said that Clare played well and Kerry didn't even play that well. This handicap's insane, lads. For the Munster champions, it's Kerry minus 16. Um, which I, it was exactly my word, PJ, when I saw it, I have to say. I, uh, Gary is once again the 2 0 lead, but I have to say, I, I, I'm just perplexed by that. That's, um, and look, they might well beat it. That's the other thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we'll move on to Ulster. This is their very old-school uh, handicaps for the Munster Championship. We we're heading towards a Cork Kerry final, if the bookies are to be believed. Um, Tyrone versus Cavan in the Ulster Championship is also on Saturday, 4.30. And, uh, again, the Ulster champions are in action here. And, you know, they're going to Oma. Tyrone, I will tell you right now, are favourites. But I won't tell you by how much. Uh we think about this Cavan team's progression here. We got relegated from Division 1, 2019, got to an Ulster final. Got relegated from Division 2 last year, won Ulster. Relegated from Division 3, 2021. Probably going to get knocked out. <laughs> what would be the next step? Would it be winning the All-Ireland or reaching an All-Ireland final maybe and then finishing bottom of Division 4 to win the All-Ireland match? <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, winning the All-Ireland this year would probably be you know, you, you don't want to be, you don't want to step too many rungs up the ladder at the same time. No, we wouldn't want <laughs> um, to be unrealistic either, I yeah, suppose, would we? Yeah, exactly. yeah, all are the finals, exactly. that would do. Yeah, um, yeah, Tyrone, yeah, like you said, Tyrone, that's your favorite. Uh, like, first, like, interesting, like, for a lot of these teams, uh, Muster, like, the this is their first game in a month for, mm-hmm. you know, since the, since the, like, the, the relegation games in the league and the promotion games in the league. Interesting how they would use that. Uh, Tyrone could have Gollum and Shane back. I think could be interesting. Um, it'll also be interesting to see how they react to that, like that defeat to Kerry. Um, after you got walloped to Kerry in that in that league semi final, and it was like it was interesting. I was listening to a BBC podcast where uh, Thomas Nimblock was saying he spoke to Ryan Dewar after the Kerry game, and he was like, it, it wasn't like oh you know we we weren't out there with a full team, we weren't trying. It was like they were distraught. They were. They were very, very disappointed with how they played against Kerry. Um, yeah, I. It's, it's very hard to know how to judge this Cavan team. I'm going to say Tyrone minus six. Okay. Yeah, like obviously Cavan and Kerry at the minute. Uh, there's always an Ulster uh, tax, I think, in these sometimes with the handicaps. Like if this. Was the exact same situation it's like a similar situation to Kerry and uh Tipperary although you would say there's less of a gap between those and we looked at that handicap so I think it'll definitely be more than minus six so I'd say minus seven okay PJ got it bang on it's thrown minus oh. six and I do think there's a there's an element with the league for me is like you know what did Shane McGrath call it last week as, as useful as a, a, a handbrake on a canoe that was the hurling league I do think we probably took a little bit more from the football PJ but at the same time you know, from Cavan's point of view, they're going in here as Ulster champions and, like, they they don't consider this a kind of a lost cause or anything like that. You know, they'll absolutely sort of um, think they can beat Tyrone if they meet, if they 
played brilliantly on the day. I don't know, but the funny you mentioned the Ulster tax, Gary, because the score lines in the Ulster Championship this year have been, and it was it's been the case for a couple of years. It's not as open a championship or as as um, as close a championship or as every game is possible as people think. Like Armagh won by what four goals yesterday. Uh, Monaghan had a big win over Fermanagh and Donegal hammered down, and they're the three games we've had so far have been three hammerings. You know, so uh, definitely. Um, Definitely a good point, I would say, even though it brought you away from the correct uh, <laughs> score. So 2-1, uh, uh, Gary dominated Munster, but if uh, there's a possibility here that, that PJ is owning Ulster, but we'll find out now because we're going to Sunday at 4 o'clock for the other quarterfinal to see who will meet Tyrone, you guys say, in the semi-final. It's Donegal at Bally Buffet against Derry. What do you think, Gary? You're up first, sir. Yeah, an interesting game because obviously Derry are coming into this on good form. The one they actually had, even had a league final that they played in. Uh, so, mm. and a, a cracking jersey. Yeah, and a cracking jersey too. Uh, jersey <laughs> to the football, I would say. Uh, but Donegal then, I don't know, like Donegal are just always, you, you always think they're dependable until they let you down then, inevitably, uh, every year. I, I, I'd still fancy Donegal to win this. I think it could be tight, though. I know you're saying there has been some not-so-tight games, but for the handicap, I would say minus four for Donegal, I think, would be about right. Yeah, I, I think the, the big question for this game is, does Michael Murphy play? Yep. I mean, like, it's... Awesome. I, 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 and I think that Donegal should be able to get past... Like, Donegal are, would think in themselves as all earned contenders, rightfully, rightly. And if, they, if you are going to win Ireland... You should be able to win this game without Michael Murphy, and I like I don't. They should have been able to beat down. They would have beaten down. They did beat down without Michael Murphy. Eventually, like they played for mm. seven, they played for forty minutes without him. They absolutely hockeyed them. Um, like it, it seemed like an unnecessary risk to play him in that game. I like you, you've got your prob like whoever wins this game, you're come up against the winners of Tyrone and Cavan. You would think that would be Tyrone, but like you know they are favourites, and I think they should be Cavan. <laughs> um, so I, I would rather have him for that game than like unnecessarily. Like, I don't see why you risk him in this game. Um, they're like Barry looks like a very good team. They do like Connor Glass is like it's like just come come back. He's what, like a year back from the AFL. He looks like he's like one of the best players in Ulster. He's one of the best. Could be one of the best players in Ireland. Like eventually, like mm -hmm. um, Shane McGuigan as well. Like a really good player for them. I think they got a favourites, even if they don't have Murphy. Yeah, I, Gary's probably about right with minus four, but I, I don't think it'll be minus three. So I'm going to say Donegal minus five. Okay, it is Donegal. Lads, I'm a bit all over the place with these handicaps Ooh. this week. But Derry have won how many games by 40 points this year? I know Division 3 is very different than Division 1, but Donegal minus six, as people will see on the screen there, is the actual uh, handicap, which means that it's two all here, and we've a one-game shootout, and PJ is going first. But the bad news is that it's the Connick semi-final between Mayo and Leitrim. And if anybody gets this exact, you're cheating. Uh, so, <laughs> Castle Bar, Sunday, 2 o'clock. Poor old Leitrim. Uh, the, the winner plays Galway in the Connick final. Um, we saw what Mayo did to Sligo earlier in the year. Or, you know, what, last week, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't too pretty. And you would argue that Leitrim are in a very similar place than Sligo at the moment. Uh, Leitrim actually lost by seven points to Sligo on the league. That's, okay. uh, that's something to consider here. Uh, Leitrim, bottom of Division 3 North, lost to Sligo, lost to Loud, 
But then, interestingly, only lost to Antrim, like a good Antrim team, by a point in the final game. They did score 50 points in three in those three group stage games in the league, which is like 50 points in three games is a good, like it's, it's a decent score, I think. Um, yeah. It's just like uh, Mayo without killing O'Connor uh, is like an also thing, big thing in failure. Like, like they, they have to, like, did okay with against Ligo last week, uh, last weekend for last, like without him. Darren McKay looked like a very good player. Ryan O'Donoghue looks like a reliable player on the freeze. A man like definitely not lacking confidence. Uh, how big do you go on this? Is it like, is, is <laughs> like big, Dublin were minus 24 against Wexford at the Which weekend. Is a record, I think, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it'll be that much, but I had, I had like, I had minus 18 written down here and the more I think about it I think Gary is just going to go like one more and like <laughs> I'm, going to set, I'm going to set a marker for Gary he's going to go one more and he's going to beat me but I'm going to say Mayo minus 22 oh, wow you got way off the 18 there okay right 22 uh, I would imagine that there would be a less of a gap in the bookies between Dublin and Wexford than there would be between Mayo and Leitrim so for that and with the fact that Dublin didn't come anywhere close to reaching that record landmark there at the weekend I'm just going to say minus 21 I reckon it's going to be about minus 19 but I'm going to say minus 21 is my answer Reveal it there Maestro PJ (laughs) 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 You talked yourself out of a victory 3-2 Oh, you you brought it back to two all, and you overthought the last one. The worst thing that happened was you going first for that one. You had the honor. Next week, I'll give it to Gary. I'm determined for you to get a win here. But uh, these Mayo, are the mind games. Easy. These are the mind games I play, Mick. This is what I do to people. You know, they're overthinking themselves. You've absolutely perplexed people with your constant victories. You're like the Dubs. I don't know if you're going for seven in a row like they are, but it can't be too far off at this stage. But uh, thank you, lads. Anyway, uh, for a good effort and for another great victory for. Um, for Gary, PJ can go home and think all week now. He's already at home, actually, uh, but he can stay at home and think all week about how he uh, he overthought it. And now next week, don't come in. Don't think at all, PJ. And we'll see what happens. But, uh, that... I'll, try, I'll try not to overthink overthinking. <laughs> exactly yeah. so that's uh that's guess the handicaps for this week five football games um to look forward to at the weekend uh we'll talk to darren o'sullivan about that on monday show thanks a million to pj and to gary thanks to morris thanks to finch for his haircuts and definitely a, a huge thanks to shane mcgrath for brilliant analysis on the hurling and thank you for watching if you are watching on youtube please do subscribe to the channel and you will be uh let know when we have a new video up um we will be here with you every monday of course for ga embedded throughout the season but lots more on the vault's youtube channel as well for you to enjoy and if you're listening on the podcast please also do subscribe there we'll be back with you next monday enjoy the football next week